Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text tonight will be taken from the reading we just heard in the Gospel of Luke. We begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you have brought us here tonight. Lord, this is a place where we hear your word and we receive your gifts and the sacraments. Lord, what a blessing it is to be together. But Lord, we do come here tonight in the midst of a world full of tragedy and trial, trying to figure out how to navigate our way through this world of sin and uncertainty. And so, Lord, tonight we pray that you would guide us with the light of your word. Give us the firm ground of Jesus Christ to build upon, so that we might see your will clearly. Grant us, O Lord, your Holy Spirit, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. A number of years ago, I was on my vicarage uh, in Arvada, Colorado. Vicarage is the internship year for pastors before they uh, go back to seminary for a year and then they go out and become ordained. Uh, so I was on my, on my vicarage and that, sun, that year, on Easter Sunday, I remember we had some very unwelcome visitors uh, to our church. Now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it's Easter and you think everybody's welcome at Easter at your church, but not this particular group. Uh, this particular group had shown up to our church in order to protest our church. Uh, they were an organization known as Westboro Baptist Church. Have you heard of Westboro Baptist Church in the news before? Uh, they're in the news and never for good things. They're typically protesting uh, outside of significant events. Uh, uh, they had decided, they're from Westboro, Kansas, and they had decided that that year they were going to protest a rather large church in Arvada. But I, they figured... If they got one church there, why not hit a few of them? And so they protested a number of the churches in the area, and ours was one of them. Uh, Westboro Baptist is very famous for their message, and their message is simple. God hates. They have signs that they protest with that say things like, God hates America, or uh, God hates, and you can fill in uh, any particular sin that you know people wrestle with, God hates those people who wrestle with those sins. God hates, it would seem, anybody who is not part of Westboro Baptist Church. Though I have a theory that if you are a part of Westboro Baptist Church, it's awfully hard work to find love inside of that congregation. Westboro Baptist says God hates. But i got to tell you, if that's your theology, there's a very convenient thing about that. It's very convenient to have such a theology because if your theology says nothing but God hates, then you have a great and easy way of explaining everything that goes wrong in the world. Whenever you see tragedy, you know exactly why it happens. It happens because God hates. So, planes fly into the buildings like on 9-11, how come? Because God hates America. Or, you see Hurricane Katrina hit something like New Orleans. Why did that happen? Because God hates the debauchery of New Orleans. Or you could say we have a global pandemic. Why is there a global pandemic? Because God hates the world. God hates. That's my sermon for tonight. I hope you guys have a lovely evening. <laughs> no. This group is a real treat. And I, my fear for them is that they will discover one day uh, that there are, there are some things that God certainly does hate. Um, I'm just afraid that they're going to end up on the wrong side of that conversation. They go around with this message saying God hates, and it helps them explain everything. And as, as, as terrible and offensive as all of that is, there is a tendency there that I worry about for all of us. Not the tendency to say that God hates, and now we kind of understand the way God works, but we all have this tendency, I think, inside of us to want to explain why. 
to see what goes on in the world, and we think that somehow we can explain why tragedies or why difficulties take place in this world. The problem with that is so often our explanations come from a place where God has not spoken. We want to say why God does something when God himself has remained silent. And we make it our responsibility to speak for God. If you were with me on Wednesday at, at the midweek service over in Escondido, uh, or Tuesday, even here at our Bible study, we talked about some of this. Some of this might start to sound familiar to you. Uh, because there we've been talking about in our midweek series this idea of God's mercy. Right? Uh, we've tried to view our lives and our world in view of God's mercy. And uh, so... Uh, we, last Wednesday and Tuesday here, we talked about viewing suffering in view of God's mercies. I told this church this morning, apparently I upset Pastor Matt somehow. Pastor Matt is assigning the texts for the midweek series, and he gave me the topic of sufferings, which means I upset him in some way. I don't know how. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we were trying to view our sufferings in this life in view of God's mercy. And one of the problems with the whole conversation on suffering is that we don't know why it happened. And we always want an explanation. When suffering arises, when difficulties come into play, we want to explain it. We want to know why God allowed this, or why did God cause this, or what was God up to in the midst of all of this. And so we turn to God and we cry out, why is this happening? And God doesn't answer. He doesn't give us the answer to why. When it comes to the question of why, God is painfully silent. And yet, he's not entirely silent. For though he is silent when it comes to answering the question, why? He still does have something to say to us in the midst of our suffering. And that word is Jesus Christ. In the midst of our suffering, the Lord God gives us Jesus. Jesus who promises to never leave us and never forsake us. Not to leave us to the evil and tragic and deadly things of this world, but has promised to raise us from the grave and to make all things new. The Lord God gives us Jesus himself, Jesus who suffered. Jesus who suffered on the cross to pay for all of your sins. Far from being a God who hates us in our sin, Christ Jesus came and put on our flesh in love so that he might suffer and die for our sins to free us from God's judgment and wrath and to give us the forgiveness of sins. To give us the promise of everlasting life. Jesus doesn't give us the answer for why, but instead Jesus gives us hope. He gives us hope. Though weeping will tarry for the night, we are promised, joy will come in the morning. So when we see the tragedies of this world, we do not get to answer why they are going on. And yet, God still does call us to respond in one particular way or another. God still does give us the expectation of response to these tragedies. But the way we respond, I think, is very interesting and rather unique in this world. And it's the, the, the way we are to respond is laid out for us today in the reading we heard from the gospel. Uh, here in this account, Jesus is approached and is talking to a number of people who are trying to grapple with these tragedies that have taken place in their world. And Jesus shows them how to respond. Listen to what, what Luke records for us today. He says, there were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now we all know Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the one who had Jesus crucified. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. 
Uh, apparently, pa uh, Pilate was the rather violent ruler of the area. And apparently, somewhere, we don't have a whole lot of history to this, but there was a moment in which Pilate decided to, to uh, kill a number of Galileans and then take their blood and mix it with the sacrifices that they were to offer to God. So in other words, not only was he being violent with them, he was adding insult to injury, bloody injury, by mocking their religion and throwing their blood in with the sacrifices. It was a horrible thing that took place. And they're talking to Jesus, trying to figure out why God would allow this. And Jesus answered them. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now notice what Jesus does with this passage today. Here he's teaching us how we are to not only view these tragedies and these difficulties, but how are we are to respond to them. And I think that there's sort of three things we can take away from what Jesus teaches us today first thing is this not so much what we should do in the face of tragedy but what we should not do in the face of tragedy and jesus says to us today the first thing you should not do in the face of tragedy is judge you don't judge you don't get to sit on your high horse and judge those who suffered as though you know why they got what they deserved in your mind that's not your place to judge nor are you to judge God and his motives and his reasons for what he has done here because you just don't have access to that information. God has not revealed it to you. So you are, instead, to keep your judgments to yourself. See, Jesus says, you think you see these tragedies and you know why they happen. You think God allowed that tower to fall in that Siloam account, or you think God allowed Pilate to do this because those people were worse sinners than you? You think you're like a, like a better sinner than they are? That somehow you haven't, don't deserve to be punished or something like this? Jesus says, hardly. No, when those things take place, you don't have any idea why and you have no place to judge. So when that happens, keep your judgments to yourself. And maybe that's a good way of thinking about that. Maybe we could turn that phrase a little bit. Not just keep your judgments to yourself, but it's at those moments when you see those tragedies that perhaps you need to take your judgments and turn them on yourself. Or in other words, it's time to repent. And that's the second thing Jesus says to us today. He says when you see these tragedies take place, you need to recognize that it is time for you to repent. Listen again to what he says. Do you think that these were worse sinners than the others because they suffered? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish now before we move on it's worth remembering what do we mean by the word repent repent means to turn from one course of action towards christ to turn from sin to jesus to turn away from the sins that are harming your faith and harming those around you to jesus who welcomes you with love and mercy and forgiveness See, when we see these tragedies, the point now for us is to take a good, hard look at ourselves in the mirror, to examine our lives in light of God's law, and to begin to recognize our own sinfulness, to begin to recognize our own deserts. We deserve punishment. We deserve judgment for our sins. 
to recognize our need for a Savior and then to turn to that Savior in Jesus Christ. When tragedy strikes, we are reminded of a number of things. We are reminded that this world is not the way it's supposed to be, that this world is wrecked and corrupted. And it's wrecked and be corrupted because of sin. We are reminded that sin plagues everything around us, and sin has ruined God's good creation. Therefore, God is going to come and judge sin and condemn sin. And all sinners deserve that punishment. Now, notice what God doesn't say here. He doesn't say something like, those people um, who suffered in that way, uh, it was just an accident of history. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. He doesn't say that at all. He says, but they were, you also don't want to look at it and think that they were somehow exceptional sinners. But rather, these tragedies should remind us that we are all sinners who would face God's judgment were it not for Christ Jesus. The truth is, is that there is a day of wrath coming on this sin-bound creation when the devil and all of his works will be condemned. And when everybody will have to stand before God and give an account of their lives to him. And if you are not in Christ Jesus, if you do not have the Lord uh, advocating for you, Christ is not there by your side and you have to stand before God on your own, on the basis of your own works and your own performance, you will find that you will not be able to stand at all. You will have to justify your own existence and no one can be justified by their own works. Such tragedies remind us that there is this day of judgment coming. That the judgment is promised. But even more so, these tragedies then would remind us that we need Jesus. We need Jesus to be our advocate on the day of judgment. We need Jesus to be the one who pleads for us. So what these tragedies do, is they awaken us to hear the gracious invitation of Jesus Christ to come to him for forgiveness and mercy, life and salvation. After all, this is why Jesus has come. To give you salvation. In fact, this is exactly what he says to us. Remember that wonderful verse for, from John's Gospel, John 3.16, the most famous popular verse in the history of the world? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's a wonderful verse. But we always stop too short because the next verse is pretty good too. Jesus has something more to say there. Listen to what he says next. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. In other words, when Jesus came in his first coming, he didn't come to be our judge. Rather, he came to be judged for us. To be judged in our place, to take all of the sin of the world, all the sin in your life, your, your sins of your heart, the sins of your mouth, the sins of your hands, all the sins that you have committed, Jesus takes them into himself and carries them to the cross so that he would be judged and condemned in your place, and you would be forgiven. And you are forgiven, because Jesus Christ has died for you. The work of Jesus, then, is not to condemn you in your sins. Now, when he brings your sins to mind, when he exposes your sins with his law, his work there is not to simply say, fix it or else, but rather turn back to me, so that you can once again receive forgiveness, life, and salvation. For that is what I have come to give to you. See, the judgment that we see coming, the judgment that we are warned about in the, the tragedies of this world should also point us to the, the judgment 
that Christ endured for us on the cross. And if you really want to think about this, the story gets really fascinating. Judgment Day for you has already come. Judgment Day already took place for you 2,000 years ago on the hill outside of Jerusalem, on the old rugged cross, where Jesus Christ suffered and died in your place and all of the sins you committed were judged guilty in Christ and you were declared righteous so that you need no longer fear that day of judgment. For Christ has endured it in your place already. And you have been promised forgiveness and salvation. See, here's what Jesus did. Jesus saw the sin in this world. He saw the tragedies in your life, the ones you have suffered as well as the ones that you have caused. He's seen all of the tragedy of this world. And he did not sit up in heaven waiting for us to fix it. But rather, what did he do? He invaded the world with his love. He invaded the world with his mercy. He invaded the world with forgiveness so that he might overturn the evil works of this world and give us the gift of salvation. And perhaps there, we can start to learn the third thing we should do in the face of tragedy. And that is to love. When we see the tragedies, instead of judging and condemning, perhaps we would see them and be prompted to love. For after all, these tragedies would drive us to Christ, who forgives and saves us by His grace alone, and then Christ would take us into the world into the world to invade it with his love, to work harder for our neighbor, to help those who are suffering, to have mercy and show compassion to those who are in need, to give what we have to those who have not, to love one another just as Christ has loved for us. For if it is his love that saves you from the wrath to come, which it does, then perhaps your love can help those who suffer in the struggles of this life. Perhaps we should view these tragedies as a call for us to invade this failing, beloved world with hope. To invade the world with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for the salvation you have won for us on the cross, that you have taken the judgment for our sins in our place. And now, Lord, just as you have come to rescue and redeem us, we pray that you would send us forth in the world to bring your good news of hope and salvation so all may know the hope they have in Jesus, the hope they have in you on the day of judgment. It's in your name we pray, O Lord. Amen. Having heard the word of